Yo, this place is big. We should split up finding Will. Said no one who survived a horror movie ever. Because as you know, in every horror movie, the first rule of survival is never leave your friends. So don't split up if you want to make it to the end. No, don't. Don't split up. Welcome back to the Don't Split Up Horror Podcast. This is episode number 30, and we're going to be talking about the new hit film from Sam Raimi and Fede Alvarez, Don't Breathe. But before that, we have to get into some feedback we've gotten for our Stranger Things episode. I am J.R. Foresteros. I'm Amanda Foresteros. I'm Mose And I'm Stacey Silveri. We had a lot of people respond to our Stranger Things episode. Uh, we wanted to run through that with some of you. Uh, so first of all, uh, many of you may not know, but Amanda is a roller derby-er. Roller derby girl, roller derby player, roller derby bouter. I think any of those work. Yeah, so, uh, whatever you prefer. And recently, many of the, the women in your roller derby league have discovered the podcast. That is accurate. I wanted to give a special shout-out to Betsy and Crime Minister, because both of them have listened to the Stranger Things podcast. And they're just adorable. And they, they talk about how they know exactly all of my noises that I make, apparently, during the podcast. Like, either <laughs> laughing or, like, oohs and ahs and all those kinds of things. That I guess I do that a lot in practice as well. Uh, my friend Tim, uh, because we asked people what they want to know about for season two, he said he specifically wanted to know what was the deal with the slugs. Mm-hmm. So, no spoilers if you haven't seen Stranger Things, but there's some slugs that are pretty unexplained. <sighs> so, hopefully we'll find out more about those in Season 2. And then I had a great conversation with my friend Brindy, who she and her husband burned through the whole series in a week. And she actually said she listened to our episode before she watched the finale, so I hope we didn't spoil mm-hmm. too many things. But, yeah, she loved. they loved it. They were actually asking what they should watch on Netflix next, so I told them Daredevil or Jessica Jones, but... Ooh, Jessica Jones, for sure. Yeah. That's very true. And then, I would uh, change burn through the whole show in a week to casually watch, though. Jessica Jones or any of No, he's saying if, you oh. burned, if it took you a week. <laughs> That's accurate. Uh, yeah, it took us like two weeks because some of us weren't as committed to watching it. Uh, it had nothing to do with that. I absolutely <laughs> wanted to watch it. We were not in a place where we could. I didn't name any names. Oh, you. <laughs> I totally wasn't thinking you, Amanda. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mo. I appreciate that. Uh, and then our friends Brenda and Susie uh, work in a hair salon together, and so apparently they listen to the episode pretty regularly while they're cutting hair. And uh, they said we've inspired them to check out a few of the new films that we've reviewed lately. So, uh, Susie and Brenda, please let us know uh, if you enjoyed Lights Out and if you've been able to sleep yet since then. (laughs) (laughs) Don't split up. So, uh, let's go ahead and start talking about Don't Breathe. Uh, If you've never listened to one of our new film, new release episodes before, we're going to talk about the film in very general terms, talk about some initial impressions we had of it, uh, whether we think you should see it. And then uh, we'll give you plenty of warning before we dive into spoilers for the film. So if you haven't gotten to see the movie yet, that's okay. Uh, You'll be able to listen to it spoiler-free for a few minutes, and then we'll warn you when you should shut it off and go see the film. So this is the newest team-up from, as I said before, Sam Raimi and Fede Alvarez, and they did the Evil Dead remake. Of course, Sam Raimi is the godfather of the entire Evil Dead series, but when they did the remake back in 2013, he handpicked uh, the director, Fede Alvarez, to do it, and a ton of the crew... Mo, you looked this up, right? Like, there were a ton of people who came to work on this new film yeah. as well. Yeah, it was not just Raimi. It wasn't just the 
uh, girl, Jane Levy. It was uh, Alvarez. There was also another co-writer, I think another co-producer, director. I mean, it was like a group of six or seven, I want to say, that they pulled from Evil Dead over to this one. Yeah, so uh, so that's pretty fun. I was I was very excited about this movie because I love Raimi. I love his sense of horror, and you know I thought the trailer just looked really exciting. Uh, it has an 86% on Rotten Tomato currently, which means this has been a great summer for horror movies. Uh, Conjuring 2, The Purge, Election Year, Lights Out, and now uh, uh, Don't Breathe have all gotten very good reviews and have made a lot of money. All, I think all of them have made their money back and then some at the theater. So it's been, been a pretty strong summer for horror. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised that summer is becoming like the new time for great horror films to come out. That was about to be my next comment. Like October seems pretty weak in comparison to what we've had come out over the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to anything except maybe the Blair Witch. And even that I have kind of low expectations. And, and Rings, of course. I'm not looking forward to that, nor do I wish to see it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Rings. Uh, so already, just in its first weekend, Don't Breathe made $26 million. It, it took insane. number one. It, it dethroned Suicide Squad, thankfully, and finally, <laughs> um, which, which ruled the box office undeservedly for three weekends. Yeah, a throne yeah. of shame. Yeah, a throne of shame, for sure. Um, and and wasn't Don't Breathe. that bad. It was that Ugh, bad. It was I haven't seen it, and it was horrible. <laughs> Oh, Mo, then your two cents don't matter. <laughs> uh, so Don't Breathe only cost $10 million to make, so it's already made its money back and then some. That's so crazy. Um, yeah, so I'm curious. Uh, I want to go into some introductory thoughts on the film, but first tell me what you thought of the trailer and, and your thoughts going into the film. Stacey, where were you? What was your anticipation level? Um... I mean, I was excited, but again, I i mean, I don't like to get my hopes up too much. I feel like we've talked about a couple times how the trailers can build build up the movie and make you think one thing's going to happen or you're going to get one type of movie and then you end up getting another one. Um, but I, I thought they did a good job. I just hate seeing trailers ever, but especially more than once because I just have a really photographic memory. And so there were particular scenes. I knew exactly when they were coming. And so that was really frustrating for me. I, I actually kept my expectations really low, like you were saying, Stacy, just because if you if you get them up too high, then you're always going to be disappointed. So I I was not expecting it to be great. And it was, in my opinion, fine. I don't know how it has an 86 on Rotten Tomatoes, in my opinion, but more power to it. I was not looking forward to a film where the bad guy was a blind guy. Uh, mm. Even the trailer, which was pretty well done, uh, did not make that scary for me. And so I kind of went in with extra low expectations. Um, there were some twists and turns that I think helped the movie, but as far as the trailer went, I was not excited. Uh, I like I said before, I, just because it was Raimi and Alvarez, I, I liked the Evil Dead remake pretty well, and um, so I was I was pretty excited to see what they would do. And one scene specifically in the trailer got me really really excited, and that was the uh, the the night vision scene mm. where they're in the basement. I thought that was such a creative, clever use of uh, the premise of the film. We'll get into that more in spoilers, but if you've seen the trailer, um, then you know what I'm talking about. And 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 I was uh, I was pretty excited about it. So uh, we 
Oh, go ahead. I will say to touch on that, JR, I was excited when I found out it was Raimi, but then when I later found out it was Alvarez and I have yet to see the remake, I lost that enthusiasm as well. <laughs> well, uh, we put it out on Facebook to see who would, uh, who was interested in, in talking about this film with us, and, and one of our listeners, Jason, said, uh, ratings are looking pretty good so far, so we want to know, how does it stack up to other horror flicks? It doesn't sound like a typical home invasion genre. Um, are there any cerebral elements to the horror, or is it just suspense, startle, kill? So we'll come back, uh, Jason, I promise that towards the end of the episode, once we get into spoilers, we'll touch on the cerebral elements and all of that. Uh, but what do you all think? Does it stack up to other horror flicks, especially the other horror flicks we've seen this summer? I don't think so. I feel like Conjuring was... 2 and Lights Out were kind of in a league of their own. Those were pretty good. I was going to say, this I feel like is just average. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't anything spectacular. Yeah. I, I would say that the, the jump scares themselves were, there were probably more, just because it was a very quiet film, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden something crazy would happen and you would jump. So I, I definitely felt tense for most of the movie just because I didn't really know what was going to happen. I mean, I... I had some guesses because it wasn't particularly shady on the the route it was going, but but yeah, I, I kind of felt. Uh, I mean, it was one of those films that that I would say definitely like. Oh, it would have been nice to have a massage after that, just because like <laughs> the whole time I was just like my shoulders were kind of hunched up, and but I was I, I never felt the the desire to like hide my face like I do often in watching films, especially when they involve sharks. <laughs> I will. Uh, uh, I will say the gentleman who exited the theater behind me said it was the best movie he'd seen in a long time. Whoa! Hmm. Did you stop he him? He must knock it out. Or maybe he uh, just saw Suicide Squad. I don't know. You know. I wasn't <laughs> sure why he was saying that, so I just kind of walked faster. <laughs> uh, I, I would say it was definitely less enjoyable than the other horror films we've seen this summer. Um, but it was. I mean, if for a home invasion film, I think it was actually. Pretty decent. I, you know, I can name a handful like uh, Your Next and The Strangers that I think are home invasion films that were better. Uh, but, it, but overall, it was okay. I will also say our theater going experience was one of the worst I've ever had in my life. Uh, oh my not o- not yeah. only was everyone in our theater talking throughout the whole movie. Like I was gonna, say, I usually say something if someone's talking around me within like three, oh, three does. to five rows yeah, of me. I'll, I'll say something. But it was literally everyone else in the theater except for us was talking and and saying things and laughing uh, like really obnoxiously. Busting out their cell phones too, like there are lots yeah. of lights shining in. And then about 45 minutes before the film ended, the house lights in the theater came up and stayed up for the rest of the show. Uh, wow. So a in super a bummer. yeah, in a film, in a horror film that's largely about the dark, uh, that really took away a lot of the, the effects. So I don't know if I had had if we had had a better. Uh, theater-going experience, if that would have changed our experience of the movie, because there were multiple times that I was taken out of the film by the crowd or by the environment. Um, and there was a weird smell. That oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like it was someone had put a used diaper <laughs> under our seat in the last showing it or something. It was really oh, rough. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I don't... I don't know. I looked at the Rotten Tomato uh, ratings, and I was like, "Gosh, maybe maybe our theater experience ruined this movie for me." I don't know. Um, but I, overall, I would recommend it. I mean, I I had a good time at the theater. I thought it had some innovative stuff that I hadn't seen in a horror film before, and it wasn't like my favorite movie of the year by any stretch of the imagination. But I enjoyed it. What about you guys? 
I didn't hate it. It definitely wasn't my favorite, and like I was curious. I think it kind of dragged on towards the end. I think it could have ended a little sooner and been better for it. Um, our theater experience was actually similar. I saw this one with my brother. I made him go with me because I was expecting scarier than I got. And uh, we towards the end, and I think, again, because it just kind of dragged on, people were talking, chatting, uh, laughing. Uh, but overall enjoyable. Would you recommend it? If you're a horror fan, yes. If you were going to see it just because it looked unique, I think you might be disappointed. Um, it wasn't the traditional home invasion, I don't think. So there was a little bit of inversion there, which I think we're going to get into further in spoilers. But uh, So you, you've got that twist. But uh, if you're bored and you have nothing else to do, then yeah. Otherwise, it might be worth waiting for DVD. I, I was actually just going to suggest that that if you watch it on a DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, you're at least in a house where you can turn <laughs> the lights off and watch it. Um, but yeah, I was, I mean, I was pretty pretty disappointed, and yeah, I would just wait for the wait for the DVD to come out. In my opinion, so it must just be this movie and the type of crowd it drawed. Um, I had not a good theater experience either. I don't know if it's, I went to like a theater I don't normally go to and they have like the little servers come talk to you or like you could press a button and they come. Mm -hmm. But I had people kicking my chair. I had people getting on their phones, like people talking. So that was quite frustrating. And after seeing movies by myself in the theater alone, being with people was kind of different, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, I didn't love it by any means, but I definitely didn't like it. I think it might be, if you get, like, a good theater, it might be worth to go see in, in the theater. The other thing I was going to say, uh, and I think I, I said this to you, JR, after we watched the movie, was that I wish that there had been no speaking parts, because I felt like every time any of the characters talked, it ruined them for me on multiple levels. So... I don't know if it just wasn't very organic uh, speaking parts or if the script was just kind of weak uh, or annoying or something, but... Maybe a little I, cliche. Yeah, it was... I was just like, oh, of course they just said that, oh, and then they also just said that, oh, this is this is real dumb. But I, I will say whether you see it in the theater or you see it at home, uh, the volume being turned up or surround sound, those are imperative because they definitely play on the idea of sound being necessary for obviously a blind person. Hence, don't breathe. So make sure that's set right. Mm -hmm. All right, so just to be clear, Stacy kind of recommends it. Mo and Amanda say wait for a DVD, and I said give it a go. Is that accurate? <laughs> that is yeah. accurate. Sounds like okay. a good summer. There you go. So uh, I don't know. Uh, you'll have to, you have to decide. Let us know if you decided if we were enough to persuade you to see it in the theater or not, uh, because we're about to jump into spoilers for Don't Breathe, starting right now. Spoiler alert. Dun, dun, dun. Don't split up. So I wanted to introduce a, uh, a way of talking about this film that I thought would be helpful for us. It's from a book called Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. It's a classic Hollywood screenwriting book. And in that book, he outlines 10 different kinds of plots. And one of them is called The Monster in the House, which is more or less exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a house or it's a self-contained kind of place where the main characters, the heroes, commit some kind of sin. And because of that sin, a monster is able to enter into the house and terrify them. 
So uh, some cla- and then and then the the plot of the film is obviously how the hero overcomes their weakness or their sin and is able to defeat the monster. So some of the the classic obvious examples are like Black Christmas, Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth. In fact, basically every slasher flick is a a spin on Monster in the House in some way or another. Scream really pokes fun at that, as does A Cabin in the Woods. Uh, Alien is a monster in a house, though there the house is a spaceship. The Exorcist is a pretty literal monster in a house. And uh, then Blake uh, goes on to talk about some some other fun ones, like Jaws, where the monster is the shark, the house is the island, and the sin is the pride of the mayor and even Quint to a degree. Um, so so it, it's a really fun kind of helpful uh, helpful strategy. So I, one of the things I wanted to to talk about is why we find monster in the house stories effective, why we like telling them, and, and maybe even especially why they scare us. So uh, I, maybe I should ask, do you find monster in the house kinds of movies scary? Obviously, Amanda, you do, at least in Jaws's case. Oh, most definitely. I mean, almost every single one of those movies that you just listed, I find horrifying. So there's got to be something about it. Is that your guilt complex? Ooh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Possibly. You're afraid you're always going to get trapped by a monster that's come to punish you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to run up the stairs instead of out the front door and be really, really dumb. Yeah. I, I think we've talked about it a little bit before. I think it just has to do with the fact that it's your safe place and now it's no longer safe. So in the mm. traditional monster in the house, you know, you're at home, the doors are locked, you think you're at your safest. And next thing you know, there's a guy trying to kill you, and he's in there. Then, like Amanda said, you make every bad decision possible uh, and can't get away from him. So, And with Jaws, same thing. You know, This is your beach. It's your vacation. You're supposed to be out there having fun, um, and then that's taken away from you. So it's twice as terrifying. <laughs> like you said, it's just like the loss of control. It's supposed to be safe and comforting, and then it's not any longer. And... I think Cabin in the Woods, one of the reasons I love that movie so much is because it it outlines how beneath all of these films is like a desire for us to see people punished. And we get a kind of uh, voyeuristic pleasure in seeing someone else suffer for doing the things that we do. Uh, And so on some level, that's probably like our our Protestant Christian guilt that is sort of unique to the American consciousness, you know, that we inherited from the Puritans, that fun is bad, and so anything you do that's fun must be wrong, and it's wrong, and so we should be punished for it. And so if we can watch these stories about other people being punished for doing wrong, it sort of alleviates some of that shame from us. And that that's really, you know, what Cabin in the Woods was all about, but without spoiling too much of that movie. The I was gonna say the only person that I enjoyed watching suffer in this movie is Money. He was <laughs> so I, he was just ridiculous. I could not take him seriously. And when it was like, why would well, you he was him? the main sinner, right? He was the one that was breaking all the rules first and True. the most inclined to do so. True. This is why talking about movies using these frameworks are fun, right? Because you can you can start elaborating that way. And Mo and I, you and you know, you and I were talking in the pre-show about how the sin that these people are committing is the st- the thievery. You know, they're breaking into these homes and stealing things. And even beyond that, at the beginning of the movie, Alex lays out the rules that they follow, even to steal. <laughs> You know, they yeah. never steal cash. They never steal anything worth more than ten grand. Like they do everything to keep it, you know, low on the radar. And then, of course, when they go to this 
this uh, house, they break all of those rules, like, all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because of that, they're punished. What, what's also fun is that when you use this framework, you can see how, how different movies break those uh, formulas. So in this particular case, it's not their house. You know, typically, you know, if you're on an island like in Jaws or any slasher movie, it's your home. You were talking about that, like your safe space, right? But here, they break into the monster's house, and it's it's they go into the den of the monster, and so the whole feel of the film is completely flipped. I mean, this doesn't feel like a slasher movie. It doesn't even really feel like a typical home invasion movie because the whole way through, they are in unknown territory. That sounds like a karma movie for the first 45 minutes of it. Yeah. So, and, and, and the other way you can spin this is asking, well, maybe they're the monsters. The Maybe the, the blind man is the one who has sinned, and his sin has invited these monsters into his house, and he's being punished. And so it's it ends up being a horror movie from the perspective of the monsters, which is also like a really fun way to look at this film. Like, what if you watch Friday the 13th from Jason's perspective? Yeah, but I mean, that's that's kind of what this film does, right? Because these these people have broken in to do this guy harm. And especially as the film goes on, the harm goes from financial harm to physical harm. Like, they are trying to hurt him. And typically, I think most of the time, most people wouldn't have a problem with someone acting in self-defense to protect their home, which is what this guy does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not until pretty late in the movie that we find out that he is actually probably a lot more monstrous than we realized. Absolutely. And uh, I can't remember his name, but not money. Um, Alex. He even, yeah. Alex even says, as soon as he sees the gun, he's like, do you have any clue what you've just done? Like, mm-hmm. now he has the right to shoot us in his own home. Like, they do continue to bring up those rules and show them break, and they did a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's just kind of go through some of the scenes. I, I thought that even though we even though we saw someone in the trailers, I thought that opening scene – it's not the opening scene. I thought the first scene with the blind man in the living room, like when he when you think he's been drugged and then they're, they're busting off the door and then he's just standing there. Uh, and then that whole sequence – uh, I thought I thought it was very tense and I and it, very well done. Except for the fact that I agree with Amanda, those are the ones I think you take out of the trailer, so it had lost its entire edge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew exactly what was coming. I, I knew the moment because you knew it took place in the living room, so you knew they weren't going to get down into the basement beforehand. You just knew there was a certain way this was going to play out. And had I not known that from the trailer then the idea of him being drugged, the idea that they were, you know, um, pretty confident that he was out based on just the volume of their voice, uh, it, it, that the whole scene would have been so much more powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it was it was a well-done scene had you not seen the trailer, yeah. for sure. And since money had already kind of gotten his, I, I was not expecting characters two or three to get theirs either. So it's just, I don't like it. I, I really that wish scene. that... Like, you yeah. knew they were safe in that scene. Okay. Yeah, I just wish horror films would do a better job. I, I know there's a way to make these trailers and make them enticing and scary without giving away great scenes like that. Well, you know, there are people who refuse to watch trailers altogether. Uh, and 
I typically do, at least for films I like. Scary films, I'm all right with them not being as scary when I get <laughs> so there. <laughs> uh, Mo, how many times have you watched the Resident Evil 7 trailer? The first time I watched it, I didn't know I was about to be watching it, but since then, several times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Uh, one, you know, one of the next big notable scenes uh, is is that scene in the basement, where where he they go down there, they find the girl, uh, they try to free her, that does not go well, and then they are plunged into darkness, and they are reduced to blindness essentially. Except obviously, this man who has been blind for years has a lot more experience navigating without eyesight. Uh, and, and I think that's what I loved about that scene, and the way it was shot with the the black and white night vision, uh, I found really effective because it was clear to me they were blind. Well, but Is they it... were also wearing contacts to dilate their pupils. I, I, I thought that was pupils. so cool because I felt like everyone did such a good job portraying like they really actually couldn't see or were blind. Like, I, picked, I bought all that, mm-hmm. um, and I did like that scene. And is it too early to get into best, or can I just put it out there? If right you now? want to take it, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> because in this scene, when she is slowly and blindly working her way to the guy who's just patiently <laughs> waiting at the end of that aisle, because he is, he's listening, and he knows someone's coming closer, and she thinks it's Alex, I, that was probably the most tense, horrifying scene for me because I was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> it's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. See, I like that scene, but I also struggled because they were talking to each other. Like, I, I get that you want to find each other and you're not supposed to split up, but I feel like this is like the one and only circumstance that you you should probably just try and like stay where you are and not holler across a room to somebody who like can obviously hear pretty well and knows this house and you, you I, know like I bought that out of their desperation though cuz at that point in time the lights have gone out shots have been fired uh they can't see anything so it's like this overwhelming fear at least the way I took it this overwhelming fear that they just they don't even know if the other person's alive anymore Yeah, yeah they just lost it so was that when he faked it, faked them out, and we thought that he was down in the basement, but then he opened the trap door, or is that after? And then he shut. That's it, after. He opens after. the trap door, he shoots and hits the his captive, right, right, right. and then he okay. shuts the lights off. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was just. I think I was too busy getting over being annoyed with the fact that he just all of a sudden popped up at the trap door, like even though we thought that he was already in the basement. That I mean, it was definitely still well done, and I jumped whenever he, even though I knew it was coming, when he reached across the shelf and pulled at Alex and started choking him and whatnot. But see, see I didn't I, mind that he was at the trap door because right. he knew that was the only like he had that girl hostage down there. He knew the only way they could go was to that trap door. But there was uh, a scene of him. Almost going down the steps or almost going down the ladder. Like he feels around for the ladder and is about to go downstairs and then all of a sudden, whoop, he's at the trap door shooting the crap out of everybody. Like it, I I just didn't buy it. It's fine. Yeah. You guys can like it. I was annoyed. I, I just, for me, I was a little more annoyed by the endless amounts of bullets. That's one thing that still gets me. At least later <laughs> in the show, they do show him like putting more ammo back in, but. That that was where I got nitpicky. Mm-hmm. Bugs me in movies is the endless amount of bullets, and the bad decisions that they continuously make. <laughs> so he captures Rocky, and ties her up, 
and then goes up and chases Alex through the house and we think kills Alex in the tool room. I love that scene because again, it played off of, it put us in his, in his uh, perspective where all, all he knew is that he stabbed a body and it was dead and we, he couldn't see that it was not the right body. And we didn't know that either. So I, I didn't feel like that was a cheap. No, I way. thought that was awesome. I did as well. Yeah, and so when it cuts back and you see Alex, like, terrified standing there with the, the shears in Money's body, I was like, oh, they got me so good. Like, that was great. Because <laughs> at that point in time, I was starting to commit to the idea that they were all going to lose. Yeah. And I, I was actually... I think happier with that potential ending. <laughs> yeah. Um, Especially but... with the cold open, right? When you see him dragging her body. Exactly. Yeah. And so when we get to that point, I'm like, well, uh, I mean, they really shouldn't have gone into his house. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, once he thinks he dispatches Alex, he returns to the basement, and we find out that his captive had been pregnant, and this is where he turns full-blown monster, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so let me ask this. Like, what did you think was the situation with the captive girl before this reveal? I'll go first. I thought she was replacing the daughter. I thought he had captured her and was like, all right, you killed my daughter. Now you get to be my daughter. And it was just like this emotional, scarred man who needed that in his life. He'd already lost his vision. Then they took away his child. See, I didn't think it was that. I think it was exactly how Rocky had said it. He wanted her to suffer. He wanted her to pay for taking her his daughter from him. Yeah, so that's what he, I thought too. He, he was suffering, so he was inflicting suffering. Like That's kind of what I got out of this movie, was that it was a lot about suffering. Um, like Obviously, he lost his daughter, suffered through that. They suffered their whole way through this house. The girl, the captive, suffered, you know. It was about giving suffering and suffering through it. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. Um, I, I thought that it was just he captured her to torment her and I guess just for retribution for what she had done to his daughter. See, I just didn't get that, like, and this is going to sound kind of weird. I didn't get the feeling that she was being tortured. Like, obviously, she was tied up there and everything. But even when they, like, talk to her, and her like, she's unblemished. Like, she looks well cared for in the creepiest sort of way possible. Um, but, no, I got more the idea that this old man just wanted his daughter. See, I was with you, Mo. That's kind of – that was the – what I was thinking. And so even when I – even though I was – horrified by the fact that he had this girl captive in his basement um i understood and i felt like i felt empathy for him i i, I was like again not like oh this was a good decision and a, a wise life choice on on his part i think but, that's a classic guys guys perspective versus girls perspective like maybe i don't know well i i didn't think there's anything sexual sexual going on Oh, well. I thought I thought it was like I, I suspected there had to be because Agreed. Yeah. Regardless of whether it was in That's interesting. Or not. That's, oh, yeah. So did Mo did you think there was a sexual component? No. I mean honestly, like I that's what I'm saying. Like I didn't get the feeling that she had been touched or assaulted. Oh, like I really oh, yeah. truly thought she was That she couldn't talk, that she was tied up with her hands behind her back. Oh yeah. Ugh. I don't 
I don't know. Like I've seen yeah. other, like especially when you get into the torture porn and stuff like that. Like I don't, like I feel like they don't hide those types of things for you. Like I feel like there's more there in the setting or the nature of the person that implies that type of like physical assault. Yeah, and but I, then I she would know. have been like dressed in lingerie, things like that. I get that, but he's blind. Like he can't see that anyway. So that's mm-hmm. just why I don't know. That's a good point. I don't, I honestly didn't even take that into consideration. I just didn't see like I guess what would be the normal signs of that type of assault. Yeah, so I was reading it as a much more like father-daughter relationship, mm-hmm. and obviously it was much more of a baby mama. <laughs> so creepy. And I, and I think <laughs> it's important. Nuts. I think it's important to note he, in his own mind, he had justified it by saying that he never forced himself on her, even though clearly he raped her, no matter what she said, mm-hmm. right? When he said, "If you give me a baby, I'll let you go," and so after who knows how long, right? She finally relented. And that's that's rape, no matter how you slice it, you know. I don't, I don't think she relented. I think he did the same thing that he was trying to do to Rocky. Oh, I took that differently because he said, "I don't have time anymore," and that's what he went and grabbed all the the turkey baster and stuff. It sounded to I, the way I read his monologue was that he had he had basically kept her captive and said, "Let me put a baby in you, and then once you give me a baby, I'll let you go." And finally, after however long, because do we ever get a timeline on how long ago his daughter had died? Mm-mm. No, but I think and it's I been a while. Story, I wish the news story would have covered that, because I know, obviously, they didn't, um, like, you know how the news likes to tie in stories together, yeah. so I figured they'd be like, oh, this army vet, and, you know, they hadn't, he had some intruders and whatever. Also, if you remember this news story from however many years ago, he lost his daughter to this drunk driver and blah, blah, blah. And actually, she's been missing for, the, you know, for two and a half years or for six months or whatever. Yeah. That know. final news scene really bothered me. There were so many creepy things in that house, so for the <laughs> yeah. police to just go in there and be right? like, yeah, he's all right, like that. That wasn't cool. That was poor, poor police investigating. Yeah, like, who was tied up in this sex dungeon in the basement? No one <laughs> really? Is this not yeah, weird to a, most people? Must have, must have come with the house. Anyways. Um, anyway, this, so that was how I read that scene, was that, that finally at some point the girl had given in to him and said, fine, and and then now that she's dead, he's he's accelerating his timeline and saying, I'm not going to rape you, but I'm going to impregnate you with a turkey baster. I read Which, it the same way Stacy did. I thought that that's what he had done to the other girl, but now that you've mentioned that, that does make more sense. I bet that's right. Mm-hmm. I so, think that is what he was trying to. And imply. again, it doesn't matter. It's all it's all actually oh, rape. So, yes. <laughs> um, so it doesn't actually make it any different. But I thought it was interesting that this is the point where we realize, no, this guy actually is a monster. Like he's not just an army vet. He's not just a grieving father. Like he has become something monstrous. You know, and and at, at that point, I I lost any any shred of empathy my, I might have had at mm-hmm. all. But it sounds like uh, Amanda and Stacy, neither one of you had any empathy for him even before that. Not really. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I I did a little bit, but yeah, no, the home, I, quick, the home I quickly movies. lost all that. Yeah, when when the home movies were playing in the bedroom scene at the very beginning, I was like, oh man, like he's he was like going to, to sleep. Yeah, exactly. I was like, that's brutal, but that's about the only time. Uh, when he killed Money, and I, granted, I get that he was an intruder, and this guy maybe doesn't want to take chances, but the way he killed Money seemed pretty cold-blooded. Like, mm-hmm. Money was crying. He's like, all right, thanks, man, thanks, man. And, like, he's going to just get out of there, and then that guy just kills him. But you're blind. I mean, but did, did you, I was going to say, did you really think he was going to let Money go? 
No, of course not. It wouldn't have been a scary movie then. I'm just saying that was like, <laughs> that was the point where it's like, all right, this guy doesn't really mean well. Like there's, I, I'm saying there was no empathy for me. Even there. Cold and heartless, this mm. podcast. Uh, I mean, here. honestly, that, the one thing that, it didn't necessarily bug me, but I just thought money was an idiot. Like, why would you hold a gun to an army vet? I'll, even a blind one. Like, well, because... they were trained to, like, deal and react to guns. Like, you shoot the gun off. Like, don't you think, like, you're... I feel like he was helping him. Like, you're just helping him to, like, locate and understand where you are. Like, just because he can't see doesn't mean he doesn't have other senses and can't... Well, Money's just a punk kid. Like, he's an idiot. Like, he's never... They already disclosed well, that he's never even shot a gun before. He's just trying to be a hard ass. And then and he gets I... himself killed for it. Like, and I he was think... never prepared to kill someone. I think it speaks, too, to how... Oh, he's blind, therefore he's helpless. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Not even a little bit. Right. Um, but I think that goes into that, like, that's what you assume. It's like, oh, this guy's blind. I have a gun. He knows I have a gun. Therefore, I'm in control in this situation. And obviously that wasn't even a little bit true. Ever. No, I, so I think, Jared, you had a friend who had asked if, like, there was, if this movie was trying to display some type of fear of the disabled. And I think, actually, it's the exact opposite. I think it shows just how capable they are. Yeah, that was my friend Matt, and he hadn't seen the film. He just asked, is there, like, a fear of handicapped people or, like, handicapped people are icky kind of a thing? And, yeah, and I, I said the same thing. I said, no, um, because the reasons that he is scary have nothing to do with his blindness. Mm-hmm. Great. Right? Um, he's not scary because he's blind, and he doesn't have, like, super... He's not like Daredevil, right? He doesn't have... Su- Is he not like Daredevil? <laughs> <laughs> really? If I'd have seen, like, at least one rooftop cartwheel, I would have said, yeah, maybe this is Matt Murdock, but no. I mean, there were several times that he acted very Daredevil-ish. All of a sudden, he could hear all kinds of things that he wasn't hearing before. There were some unexplained moments, like where in broad daylight, where he gets out to his dog with no problem pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, well, I'll talk about this when we get to best worst, but I had a problem with understanding what exactly his power set was. <laughs> but we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah. um, I Actually, and you know what? With the news articles and stuff, all they had to do was, or show like one or two or three or four medals on the wall from the military, maybe a picture like show that he was some higher end military or something I mean, like then th- you maybe you buy into it a little bit more. I think they tried to do that when I think it was the bedroom scene where you're like flashing by all of the pictures. It looked like to me that it showed like him in like uniform and then him with some buddies. Um, Did it, it show him scene. as a special military experiment where he got some serum of some kind to have superpowers? <laughs> where mean, he turned green when he gets true. angry? Yeah. True, I thought his, yeah, he did have a, a lot of powers, I guess. <laughs> okay, but let's talk about that dog, because seriously, the dog. I knew you would, and it, okay, so I, <laughs> I really did love that it was like a major Cujo uh, <laughs> reference, like, but that, that thing scared me, but I figured you were so excited because it didn't die. Yeah. At least that we know of. I right? was so nervous that it was going to die at the end. <laughs> it was so scary, though. And his I mean, realistically, was like, you can't, you can't be mad at the dog. Like, he's just, he's he's protecting, like, his own. Like, the same I way would, that like... the blind man is protecting his house. Granted, we know that he's crazy and he is a monster, but essentially, they are people breaking into his house. He's protecting his home. 
the dog is more or less along the same line doing the same thing. That was hands down the most capable guard dog I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. He got into a crawl space by jumping on three different yeah. pieces of furniture. Horrifying. Uh, I mean, he was awesome. Uh, I almost bought two Rottweiler puppies like six months ago. And I will say that that dog made me second guess that decision. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the end. Uh, she gets out of the house. Did you remember the cold open or were you thinking she had made it out? I was waiting for the cold open the entire movie. Okay. Yeah, me too. Me as well. Okay, yeah. We went with a friend of ours, Mike, and he forgot about it. And so when she got out, he was so excited. And then when she gets dragged back in, he looked at me. He was like, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Like, he remembered what she was caught again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought that was, you know, once she got out, I was like, okay, well, we know she's going back in one last time. Um, and, and then she was able to disable him because I guess he at that point did have supersonic hearing. And the chiming from the alarm paralyzed him in a way that it didn't paralyze her. So <laughs> It was just really loud, JR. Yeah, but not for her. How do you, I mean, we didn't even see her in that scene other than bolting out of the house. So. <laughs> well, kind of. She hangs out while he goes all crazy and, like, stomps I around. But I, know. I didn't That's know if that easy. was more out of frustration that, like, all right, that meant the police were coming or if it truly was, like, sensory overload. Either way, it was. Weird. I mean, again, he could have killed her and been like, "Yeah, they broke into my house. It was self-defense." Yeah. Like. When and then Alex, yeah, Alex had mentioned that a couple times. Like when they were in the basement, he's like, "Either it's the money, or like, what was the? It was either money, or they can like kill him and get away with it. What? It was either or." Yeah. Well, and when they left him tied up in the basement, which is like dumb decision number seventy-five, I think they made in the movie. Ugh. Uh, I hated that part. He said, "He said now he's gonna basically he's basically paying us three hundred thousand dollars to not say anything to the cops because we know where the body's buried." Like that was mm -hmm. basically it, right? Yeah. And yeah. he was like, "Just kidding! I'll get out of this and kill you both." I feel like <laughs> I feel like because he was blind, they underestimated him. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. At every well, absolutely. turn of this movie. Like, well, and not just once, twice, three times, like continuously. All the times, all the times. Every, yeah, they never. Yeah, all the times. Yeah, literally every every second in this movie, they did not think he was capable of what he was. And they forgot again that it's his house. Like he ha he was. If you notice, he still had the handcuff on when he came upstairs. It was just whatever it was attached to. Like he knew what it was attached to and was able to undo it and come after them. Like. Because, yeah, it's his house. Like, he built that place. So that that was, I think, what you said. You know, they just kept underestimating and forgetting that that it was his ter his territory. Mm -hmm. Also, I thought it was hilarious that Alex's superpower was apparently matching locks and keys because his dad was a security <laughs> guy. Like, he looks at the keys and he's like, these fit the locks upstairs. I was like, I, what? I will say, as son of a locksmith, that's not that far-fetched. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to... I didn't even think about that, Mo. You have unique insight into this film that the rest of us lack. <laughs> tell us tell us about your journey with Alex through this movie. <laughs> so the alarm thing seemed like BS to me because even though I have no experience with that, I'm pretty sure that after you set someone up with an alarm system, you don't get their code. <laughs> um, so that was weird, but whatever. And uh, the key thing, though, that is viable. I mean, uh, like my dad does... He's a locksmith for a living, so when he goes and installs a lock... If it's a quick set lock, he gives them a quick set key. 
So it is plausible that he was looking at that key set, and he's like, I remember the locks upstairs. Try these keys. They're the most likely. How, so, many, lock, how many locks can you identify from site? Uh, they usually actually are labeled right there on the deadbolt, like those types of locks that's written on the top. But is your dad also a security guard that just has lots of keys? No, that's what I'm saying. No, that he part ran was... a security system. Uh, yeah, he ran like a security company, like a home security. A security. No, no, he ran a home security company. Even with that, though, that part was super weird because, like I said, I don't think anyone gives that to anyone. Like, you set it up, you install it, then they create their code, and they have a third-party company that calls in to make sure everything's all right. So that was weird, but the lock thing is actually viable. Hmm. All right, you ready for best worst? So, Mo, you already said yours. Stacy, what about you? The dog, was that your best? <laughs> the dog, yeah, the dog surviving because I... No, what was the best scare? What was your favorite scare in the film? Probably when they're all in the living room still and they're slowly shuffling away and then Alex steps on because he put his shoes back on because he was going to leave and then creaks the floor and then he's swinging the gun around. Like my anxiety was just peaked at that point because you really didn't know like one if he could hear them or if he was going to shoot or not shoot. That that scene, I was so so the trailer was your best. Hey, don't blame the trailer, okay? The director is not in charge of the trailer. Right. I mean, it's still a good scene, I felt like. Anytime they were in the air shaft, it freaked me out. It was real creepy. The dog shuffling through there, I was like, oh, no, this is about to get freaking real. When she gets ripped out of the air shaft, again, I don't know how he magically appeared there to, like, yank her back out of it or whatever. Super annoyed, but very scary. It made me jump, most definitely. Uh, mine was that night vision scene. I thought it was so effective and so scary. Uh, and then just a really creative way to do that where we have slightly more information than the characters, and, and but we're able to participate in their terror in that way. I thought it was great. Okay, I'm going to amend my best. I'm going to amend it to <laughs> when they try to escape the house, Alex and Rocky, and run into the basement, and then they're going through thinking they're finding a way out, and then they find the captive. And then I feel like just their realization of, oh, shit, we're fucked. Like, that we was a good twist. We and didn't just did break kinda, into, like, yeah. a, a blind guy's house. We broke into a crazy blind guy's house. Yeah, who was capable of captain, or like taking right, someone like, captive and locking like, him in the basement. I feel like at that point they should have stopped completely underestimating him, or they, should, they just shouldn't have expected, I guess, anything from him. Because if he can do that, what, what can't he do almost? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what he can't do. Speaking of worst, <laughs> apparently he can only smell occasionally. <laughs> that was so weird. So, so when when they're outside the house and she, they cut to her smoking a cigarette. Right. I thought that was absolute foreshadowing. Right. I was like, okay, if you've ever been around someone who's a smoker, you know that they smell like smoke and they don't know it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, so. One of the ways he's going to know that she's in the house is that he's just going to be able to smell smoke on her. And I was like, that's that's a great setup, and it's a great uh, breadcrumb, right, to pay off later. And then he walked within, like, an inch of her and didn't smell her. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess his sense of smell is not going to factor into this movie. And then... <laughs> he sniffs out a shoe. He sniffs out the shoe. <laughs> And that that individual moment was good because he grabs the shoe and then brushes against the other pair and he realizes, like, I thought that was all really well done, self-contained like that. 
But if he was able to smell the shoes that well, there's no way he wouldn't have been able to smell them in other ways. Because, again, like our bodies just have an odor. And you can tell when there's been another person, especially a stranger, whose smell you're not used to. I'm certain that Money was wearing some kind of cologne or probably Axe, Axe body, body spray. spray yeah, for definitely. sure. <laughs> I would say several types of cologne. <laughs> so you're saying maybe that masked everyone yeah. else? Or, or maybe maybe our blind guy was a smoker too, and that just killed all his senses. Yeah, could be. Who knows? So that was my worst. That, that, that my worst was that like I never knew whether he could hear something, whether he could smell something, um, and whether or not he could teleport around his house. Uh, so I was never sure what I should be afraid of, and rather than that making me more afraid, it actually took me out of the movie, because I was, I was constantly wondering if that was actually going to matter later. Mm-hmm. So, I think we are in perfect harmony for a change, JR, because that leads right into my worst. Uh, Go for it. It wasn't the smelling. It was just the f- heavy, heavy foreshadowing, but it only played in sometimes. So, like, it, everything was so aggressively put out there for you, like the smoking. I thought for sure that was coming back. I was like, okay, he's going to find her later because she's going to smell. Um, the glass, when she's walking through and it catches on her foot, and they make such a big deal of it landing in the hallway. Um, the fact that they hone in on that hammer when it's hanging on its tool shelf. like It was like they weren't even kind of trying to be coy with it, and it was just like, all right, we, we've seen movies before, I get it. <laughs> Like I, I don't know, and then just for it to only pay off sometimes, uh, I found that bothersome too. Yeah, it makes me wonder if there's like a director's cut or something that's a little bit longer that where some of that did pay off more, or if I mean it was just you know two or three drafts of the script, and I don't you know I never know right. with this kind yeah. of stuff. Well, and it, I was the same too. The teleporting, I mean, obviously I've already talked about it six different times, but just the fact that he just all of a sudden could pop up anywhere, which I know that there are so many horror films where that happens, but it seemed like he was like Michael Myers or he was like Jason, where just all of a sudden, no matter what, even if he was just walking, he could he could be wherever you were. And I think that matters more in this film because you gave the monster a clear handicap. He's blind. And so that actually grounds the film more in reality. And I think it actually makes it scarier because, Stacey, as you brought up earlier, probably most sighted people who go to see the film, which I would assume is most of the people who go see the film, um, would underestimate him in the same way. We would say, oh, it's so dumb. A blind person would be so easy to get away from. Like we would have that kind of unconscious reaction to a blind person who is the monster. And if they had been much more strict about how he was able to navigate the house and what exactly he was able to sense, I think it actually would have made it way scarier because we would be in their exact same situation. We had been underestimating him. And instead it was like, well, he's blind, but it actually doesn't matter because he can sense them whenever he wants and be wherever they are in an instant without any yeah, they, sort of like reasonable explanation. And they yeah, had zero limitations. Yeah. So the smell thing was also my worst. I like immediately in the movie I was just like, Oh, this is this is so stupid. Like how can he from like two rooms away smelled the shoes? Like maybe if he was in the same room, um but I feel like they did in a little sense kind of explain how he could move around the house. Like in the basement you like you could see him um like, he put his hand up when he knew, like, the ceiling, like, the board mm-hmm. on the ceiling was mm-hmm. coming. Like, he hit, like, the fan or something. I feel like if they would have just done that throughout the entire movie instead of just, like, the basement scenes, it wouldn't have felt so, I guess, just, just 
disjointed. You know, and, and part of it, Stacey, I didn't even think about this until you just said that, but like for the trap door thing, right, where he's at the top of the stairs and then he's at the trap door. Like we understand, okay, he had to unlock a door. He had to run around the outside. He had to navigate the house pretty quickly to get there. But this other scene where they actually do show him navigating the house, he's going very slowly and very methodically. If they had shown him like running and like touching things and using that and they had given us, we had gotten to see how well he knew the house, I think I would have bought in much more that, yeah, he knows this house and he could get around. We got that a little bit at the very beginning when he patches up the window and he locks the back door and he walks down the hallway. Um, but even and he's that. along and he's touching the left side the whole time. Even that, he's still moving pretty slowly, and it wasn't like one continuous take. Like, we're getting, it's still cutting. Mm-hmm. So we're still seeing, like, in little chunks. And so, again, when, when I mean, that trapdoor scene, he had to go so fast and navigate so many places and, like, get around outside and all that kind of stuff. Well, because um, it showed us the geography of the house, yeah. too. I mean, that, that was actually one of my favorite scenes was the very beginning where we're going through. And, again, I know it gave us a bunch of Easter eggs or or foreshadowing that never came to fruition. But I, I loved getting to, like, I felt like I always knew where everyone was, except for when he would pop up out of Yeah, nowhere. except when he was everywhere he wanted to be. Yeah. I honestly don't know why I'm even playing devil's advocate for him, but they did have to undo that captive and everything during that time period. So I think there was a little bit more time there than we saw. Uh, they just kind of fast-forwarded to, all right, we've got her, now let's go. Well, and I, I think that's to our detriment. I yeah, also feel like, wasn't the door open, the side door open from Alex leaving? Maybe. Uh, no, he went back and locked that when he realized there was the multiple shoes. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, so he did have to undo all those locks, including the extra padlock he had put on it. And, yeah, I agree with you, JR. If they would have spent more time with Alex fumbling with the keys that he apparently didn't know which one was for what lock when it came to letting that girl out, that would have <laughs> uh, played to the viewer's favor. Yeah, so, so that, yeah, I don't know. Any final thoughts on Don't Breathe? I kind of stand with don't my breathe. original statement. Wait for DVD. <laughs> I didn't know that the, the main female character was the who, was who she was in Evil Dead. Mia? I knew that yeah. she was in Evil Dead, but I had no idea um, that she was Mia, maybe because she didn't have a split tongue, or I'm not sure. But Spoiler for Evil Dead. Yeah, sorry. I mean, if you saw the trailer, you saw the split tongue. Just saying. I didn't, but thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Don't Split Up. Speaking of the Evil Dead remake, we are fast approaching the launch of Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 2. So dun, dun, dun. I'm going to run down real quick what to expect for our next episodes. The next episode will be on the original Evil Dead film and the Fede Alvarez remake from 2013. So Evil Dead and Evil Dead. We're going to compare them. We're going to talk about what we liked and what we didn't like about each one of them. Wasn't one of them the, the Evil Dead? I think the new one was the Evil yeah. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then, for September 16th, for the launch of The Blair Witch, we're going to go see another found footage movie. Uh, uh, I'm excited. I think this movie's going to be uh, awesome. <laughs> you say that now, but I guarantee you when we get into the podcast, you'll be like, damn it, found footage. We'll find out. We'll see. Uh, then, after the Blair Witch, we're going to do an episode on Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and look at the legacy of the original Evil Dead film. Can't wait. And then, while we wait for Rings to come out, we're going to do Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 1 and tag that onto the Season 2 premiere of Ash vs. the Evil Dead. 
And finally, uh, at the end of October, we'll probably get one more episode in there somewhere, but Rings, the sequel to the 2002 scariest movie I've ever seen, <laughs> The Ring, comes out uh, on October 28th, just in time for Halloween weekend. So we will have an episode up th- for that as well. So that's what we're looking at for the next couple of months on Don't Split Up. Let us know what films you'd like us to review, or let us know what you thought of Don't Breathe at don'tsplitup.com or at facebook.com slash don'tsplitup. Thank you for listening. As always, we love hearing from you. We love hearing what scares you, and we love hearing why you think that we are wrong. So let us know about all of that, and whatever you do, until the next episode, please don't split up. Join J.R., Stacey, Amanda, and Mo to discuss blood, guts, horror, and gore. In our podcast, Don't Split Up, where we discuss horror movies and how great or not they are. Because as you know, in every horror movie, the first rule of survival is never leave your friends. So don't split up if you want to make it to the end. No, don't. Don't split up. This place is huge. No one take the back porch. Scream if you see anything. That won't be hard. But in observation of this loaded moment, I am not in favor of splitting up, nor am I three days from retiring. I will not be right back. I didn't, I couldn't think of a non, or a, a PC way of saying splooge, so I just didn't talk about it, because I couldn't even think of, like, medical terminology. I'm, I'm coming up with it now, yeah. But, so, but, like, that was the, like, a best and a worst, because it was like, no, oh, oh, it's in his face, and